Hello, and welcome back. Over the past two weeks, we have defined neuroocupation and started shaping the connectome. We know that the brain is dynamic in nature and is influenced by what we do. We also know that our context and environment lay the foundation to brain development and how we are able to use clues and cues from the environment and context to choose what brain network to utilize to complete occupations. Today, we are going to dive into how we can work to change our brains. As occupational therapists, we work with our patients to help them get back to what they want to do. In order to be successful with this, we need to access our patient's brain connectome and either help modify the brain network or help create a new network. We do this through rehabilitation and compensation, and in order for this to work, we use the principles of neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain to be able to change itself. This happens by forming and reorganizing synaptic connections in response to learning or experience. It is the neurons in our brains altering their connections to match what our bodies are experiencing. Now, before we can dive into why we care about neuroplasticity, first we need to establish some terms regarding how neuroplasticity operates. The first term is neurogenesis. This is the creation of new neurons. We talked last week about how you are born with almost all your neurons. That's true, but science is showing that stem cells can be used to produce new neurons and glial cells and have the potential to be used to replace dead brain cells from injury. The next term is rewiring. This is the creation of new neuronal pathways. This is done the first time you learn something. In order to perform an activity, you are rewiring your brain to create a new neuronal pathway. A good mental image of this is when you are sledding. The first time you go down the hill, you are establishing the path. It starts out slow as you create it, but the more you use it, the smoother the path becomes. The creation of the sledding path is rewiring. On the other hand, there is unmasking. This is the uncovering of existing, but rarely used, neuronal pathways. These are pathways that have not been pruned by the brain yet. A good example is when you are driving and you miss your turn and have to take a different way to get to your destination. It may feel completely new, but you're still able to find your way around. You unmasked another pathway. Another term is cortical reorganization. This is the reassigning of cortical real estate. Typically, this is use-dependent like the use-it-or-lose-it principle. Basic neuroscience has grossly assigned parts of your brain to be designated to certain bodily functions. For example, the occipital lobe in the back of your brain has been associated with visual function. In someone who is blind, they are not using the occipital lobe to its fullest potential. As a result, this brain real estate can be reassigned to different functions, such as the somatosensory cortex used when reading braille, or the auditory cortex that's used to improve hearing. This phenomenon allows the brain to be efficient with its space and optimize function. In relation to function, there is the idea of changing synaptic efficiency. This is the overall goal of neuroplasticity and is powered by learning and memory. We started talking about this last week in regards to the use it or lose it principle. Neuron connections that are used frequently become stronger, causing structural changes in the creation of networks. This is known as potentiation, or an increase in synaptic efficiency. These connections are easily accessed and have little resistance to being used. It is the sledding hill at the end of the day, well used and fast. You can also have depression, or a decrease in synaptic efficiency, as neurons disconnect and the network connections are lost. These pathways are difficult to access and provide a lot of resistance. The duration of the synaptic efficiency may vary. 
It can be short-term and last for the duration of an activity. The longer you do a repetitive activity, the better you get, but this is performance-based. You may come back to the same activity a week or a month later, and it's like you never performed it at all. The efficiency of the network only lasted while you were performing the activity. There is also long-term efficiency, and this produces lasting changes. We are able to access this network easily and perform the activity the same way every time. It's a habit or routine. It's why you don't have to think about what you're doing when you're driving or brushing your teeth. This long-term efficiency makes up the basis of learning and memory and is the goal that we strive to achieve as occupational therapists. We want to create lasting changes through long-term efficiency. Now that we have established the basis of how neuroplasticity operates, we should establish when neuroplasticity occurs. Neuroplasticity can occur at any time but our brains are the most sensitive to change during critical periods. The changes made during these periods are more or less permanent. Infancy is one of the brain's most common critical periods. As we talked last week, your brain makes millions of connections within the first two years of life. Each of these connections changes the brain resulting in neuroplasticity. This is why kids are such great learners. They are learning how to walk, talk, and exist all at the same time, and their brain is what's allowing them to do that. Their brains are in a critical period to allow for the acquisition of complex skills. This critical period sets up the basic neuronal network and then changes can occur based off of synaptic efficiency. These connections are either strengthened to improve efficiency or they are weakened and eventually pruned to allow for more efficient processing. This pruning and synaptic efficiency continues to adjust our neuronal connections throughout life. This is the kind of neuroplasticity that we see outside of critical periods. It takes a bit longer because the brain isn't set up for change. This is why changing habits can be so hard as an adult. We aren't in a critical period, so we're depending only on synaptic efficiency to change our connections. But what allows for these permanent changes during critical periods to occur? When the brain is growing, a growth factor known as brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF, is released. When BDNF does what BDNF does is that it acts as a neuroprotectant of the connections made and protects them from being pruned. BDNF is produced in larger quantities during a critical period. BDNF helps our brains to be plastic and allows for new learning to occur. And what drives this new learning? Your experiences and what you do. The occupations that you participate in will help to shape what happens in your brain and what neural connections are protected by BDNF and which connections are formed into networks. Critical periods also exist when the brain or the body is injured. Your brain is sensitive to, some, to spontaneous changes as a result of a difference in function and can create a new critical period and release more BDNF to promote brain changes as a result. For example, if someone were to have a stroke, this is a spontaneous change for the brain and body and will result in a critical period. This is why, from a rehabilitation perspective, that it is important to start doing therapy so early because you want to use this critical period to create or recreate connections as soon as possible while your brain is still set up for change. During critical periods, your brain wants to change and learn new skills. Therapy allows you to take advantage of that. Following an injury, when your brain is in a critical period and you participate in rehab-focused therapy, the effort you make in therapy combined with the spontaneous recovery and healing will result in more functional outcomes, being able to return to doing what you want to do compared to if you were to just rely on spontaneous recovering and healing itself. But the idea of a critical period can also work against regaining function. 
Let's return to our example of a stroke. From the stroke, someone has lost function in one of their arms. During this critical period, if this person chose not to use that arm at all, then those are the connections that are going to be strengthened. Remember the use it or lose it principle and the idea of cortical reorganization? If you are no longer using one of your arms, then your brain is going to reallocate that part of the brain to support some other function. This will result in what therapists called learn non-use. You have learned how to not use that arm. And any further intervention to, pr to promote use of that arm that falls outside of the critical period will be much slower and will result in a lot less progress. So now that we are set up to change our brain, how do we go about doing that? How can we use neuroplasticity in our interventions to promote brain changes? That is where learning comes back into play. We want to help our clients to make neur neuronal connections or to weaken the existing ones. We want to change the brain to promote participation in occupations. We do this by teaching a patient how to do something, creating a new connection, teaching a new way to do something because the old way won't work anymore, rewiring, or helping the patient to relearn how to do something they did before but is now challenging, unmasking. So how do we learn? Everything starts with motivation. We have to want to learn how to do something. We then learn a strategy. This is where OT plays a role with facilitating learning. And then we have to practice that strategy over and over to strengthen those neural connections until they become automatic. Creating and strengthening those neural connections requires repetition through practice. When it comes to therapy, practice makes permanent is the go-to phrase. This should make sense with neuroplasticity because the more we do something, the stronger the neural connections become. The more we practice, the more efficient we become, and the more permanent those, those pathways are in our brain. But how does this happen? There are three stages. The first stage is the cognitive acquisition stage. This is when the task is new. As an OT, this is when you are really trying to facilitate the completion of an activity, maybe by teaching a new strategy or helping the patient perform the activity the way they usually do. Throughout the completion of this task, conscious attention is required and the patient's performance is inconsistent. The neural pathway is just being formed through rewiring and unmasking, and it is your job as a therapist to provide feedback. The good news is that improvement is very rapid at this stage because once the neural pathway is made, it becomes easier and easier to repeat. The next stage is the associative retention stage. This is when performance of a task becomes more consistent as the neural pathway is strengthened. As a therapist, you give less feedback and encourage your patients to monitor their performance internally. This is the stage where practice plays the largest role. You need to practice a task multiple times to solidify the neural connections. As the patient continues to practice and build their neural pathways, they reach the third step, autonomous generalization. This is when performing the task becomes automatic. Their neural pathway has been well-determined and strengthened, and they can perform the activity with no difficulty. Improvements are very slow at this stage, but can continue for years. At this point, you have built a habit. So what components are necessary to ensure learning? Learning is an active process, and thusly your patients need to actively participate. In addition, we talked last week about the importance of the environment and how it can play a role in occupational performance. You want to set up the environment so that it can enhance performance, and you want the occupations performed to be goal-driven and meaningful. We'll talk more about this next week. You also want to engage the brain in complex problem-solving and trial and error. 
The complexity makes the task more meaningful. Through trial and error, the brain is able to find the most efficient neural pathway to strengthen. And finally, the most important component of learning, specifically in the rehab setting, is to practice. And not to just practice in one way, but in a variety of ways to promote strengthening of the entire neural network and to promote generalization, being able to do the same thing in a different situation. Remember, the more you do something, the stronger the connection and the more permanent the brain change. That is neuroplasticity right there. And generalized practice is the best way that we can promote positive neuroplastic brain changes and promote functional outcomes. Neuroplasticity is how we can help the patient do what they want to do. So what did we learn today? We learned that the brain is able to change itself. More importantly, we learned that the brain changes itself based off of what it is doing. This is where neuro-occupation comes into play. If we can change the brain by participating in daily activities, then what better therapy than occupational therapy? We learned that when someone experiences an injury, that their brain produces more BDNF and enters a critical period in which the brain is set up for change. Remember, all of our patients have a brain, so even if they do not experience a brain-based injury, you want to consider their brain in your treatment planning. A stroke and a hip injury are both going to create a critical period, and therefore the connections made during that period are going to have lasting effects. It is our job to make sure that those are positive lasting effects. And finally, we learned that the best way to promote learning and neuroplastic changes of the brain is through practice, and lots of it. Remember, practice makes permanent, so what you practice and how you practice matters. Thank you for joining me during this exciting discussion about neuroplasticity. Tune in next week as we continue exploring neurooccupation and neuroplasticity by looking into motivation and how the brain makes decisions. Thank you, and I'll talk to you again soon.